So I bet when you saw the Woodland Trust in this week's podcast notes, if indeed you've read them, you thought I'd gone a bit crazy. Well, I haven't. The Woodland Trust actually do quite a lot to engage young people, and I thought it was worthwhile speaking to their CEO to find out about how they best engage family and indeed youth audiences. On a very basic level, one of the things we talk about is that they engage schools and youth organisations to plant 750,000 trees every autumn. And we go on to talk about how the Woodland Trust use big data to predict where and how best to plant trees. Darren Moorcroft, he's the CEO of the Woodland Trust. We speak a little bit about his journey. We speak a lot about the Woodland Trust's role and how they can be better and and how they engage young audiences. And then we come on to Darren's rocket fuel. So Darren Moorcroft, CEO of the Woodland Trust, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. You're welcome. Darren, let's get to know you a little bit better. What's been your journey to take you to the Woodland Trust? What, what, yeah, bring well, your like, professional journey. I suppose to I got bitten by the conservation bug on my route to school is probably the easiest thing to say. So I used to have the pleasure of walking to, to school and seeing the, the woods, the trees, the hedges, the wildlife, and that kind of got me uh, got me hooked and from that from that I uh, entered the world of conservation uh, through the uh, degree that I did uh, I was fortunate enough to do a PhD as well in conservation uh, and then moved to the RSPB and then finally to the Woodland Trust so you're at the RSPB for about 13 14 years uh, 17 wow yeah, yeah. so okay. it was, yeah, it was a long time so uh, but you uh, you get the opportunity to do some great things when you're working in the conservation sector uh, and as an organisation, it was a fantastic uh, place for me to, to learn my trade. Great. OK. In terms of you as a working individual, let's, let's get a bit to understand your motivations. Have you a mentor or have you ever mentored anybody? Uh, I have. Uh, I've just started actually being a mentor. So Ooh. that's just in the, in the um, sort of starting sort of now yeah. in, in my current role with one of the team at the Woodland Trust which okay. I'm really looking forward to uh, I've benefited from the insights that I've got from a, a range of people over over time and through my career and I think uh, that external insight on the problems that you might be facing or the opportunities that you've got uh, is fantastic because otherwise you can get a bit sort of uh, into your own echo chamber for want of a better phrase and come up with your own solutions but they may not work yeah yeah, certainly. In terms of you as a, when you're looking to build a team, is there any similar professional trait that you look for in everybody that you work with? Or would you look for a mix of skills? I, th- I think it's definitely a mix of skills. So when you're looking at that team, you kind of don't want everybody to be in your image. Mm. Uh, I know there's a challenge with uh, with that in terms of recruitment, but we've just literally recruited somebody new to the executive team at the the Woodland Trust, and uh, that's been great to see somebody come in from a different part of the of the sector. They, you know, they're not a woods and trees person, and they can bring an insight that will help us to be better. Okay, and in terms of you managing people, and indeed how you like to be managed as you've progressed in your career, how do you like to be managed, and what do you think the tricks are to managing people in the workplace? Uh, well, on the first one, I think uh, I like to be managed in terms of giving me enough leeway to make my own decisions uh, and to but to make those decisions in a way which is uh, safe for me to be able to fail uh, and not be hauled over the coals and again I've been 
uh, I've had the benefit of people managing me in that way. Uh, I also think, as a from a from a personal point of view, I've benefited from people who've recognised that there is a there is an outside world, outside work that can impact on your ability to do work. Yeah. Uh, and you know, during my time uh, at the RSPB, my first manager was fantastic because I uh, I joined, uh, and then my first daughter was born, and she was born uh, ten weeks early, two pound five ounces, wow. and in a uh, intensive care unit for three months. And my manager recognised that actually my attention was not going to necessarily be on my day job. Sure. And that I think that level of empathy bought an awful lot of lo loyalty for me. Uh, and I try and do that in the way I manage people as well. So recognising the fact that uh, I like people who work hard. I like people who get results. Yep. But I also like people who are doing it in a way which means that their work-life balance is probably better than mine is if I'm being absolutely okay. honest and now how is your daughter now uh, she's fantastic she's uh, she's fantastic she's now 19 oh, wow. uh, she's uh, um, she's over six foot tall okay. she's a strapping young lady who uh, uh, has not had any impact of being two pound five ounces when she arrived on the world and being a dad in the workplace, my kids are much younger than yours by the sound of it. I've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. It's funny how priorities shift when you become a parent. Um, how much have you tried to guide the sort of work or the sort of career that your children go into? Or, or would they not have any of it? Uh, well, uh, I've got three daughters. Right. Uh, they are 16, 17 and 19. Mm. Um, and I kind of try and shape them what they do. Uh, in terms of generics. So rather than saying, I think you should go into conservation, I very clearly say to them, I think they should do something that they love. And if they love conservation, that would be great. If they love something else to do, I think that's the most important because you spend an awful lot of time at work. And I don't think that the, the model that says you kind of work to earn the money to allow you to do the things you want to do is a very healthy one for people. It doesn't work, does it? No. I mean, four or five weeks holiday a year, you have to love what you're doing because you can't live for only four or five weeks a year. That's a fair summary. Right? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I've, uh, I suppose my, my privileged position that I'm in at the moment is I've been able to give my daughters the opportunity to you know, go out planting trees, to get that excitement, to have that experience. And in doing so, I hope that they are... Uh, that I've ignited a passion for that for uh, conservation that they otherwise perhaps wouldn't have had. So, Darren, you may have alluded to it a moment ago. How good are you at switching off? Uh, I'm honest. If I'm honest, not brilliant. Okay. I spend an awful lot of time uh, thinking about work, um, but I also try and switch off in very specific ways with you know with the family. So whether that's out with uh, with my wife and children with a dog uh, going for walks in woods and tr in the woods locally you know that could you could say that's a busman's holiday for yeah. me but actually that's part of the part of the pleasure i spend an awful lot of time uh, going to the cinema with my daughter on a almost weekly basis um, and i spend an awful lot of time uh, if i'm honest playing table tennis badly with them as well okay and I just want to get to know, because we've spoken to a number of people for this series of podcasts, but you're the first person from a from the third sector, if you like, if that term isn't antiquated already. But I'd, I'd love you to bring to life just this kind of theory of life's easy in the third sector, because it isn't, is it? It's as competitive as in any other walk of life. Absolutely. And I think one of the one of the great things about the third sector is you are working with people who are passionate they're committed and they really want to make a difference 
but that brings its challenges because people are living their values through the organizations that they work with and they are very committed to the things that they do so when you're trying to reshape what an organization like the woodland trust is is wanting to do you are butting up against sometimes people's values for why they work for an organization um, but the competitiveness is one where you know we are looking to grow the uh, the conservation sector as a whole. So I view that as being, I don't want to take, for example, supporters from other conservation sectors. I want to grow the Woodland Trust and its impact, but I also want to grow the number of people out there who are interested in making a real difference. Uh, and that's where I think the competition comes in with those outside who are, who are uh, trying to gain insight and, uh, and outcomes. So I'm still here with Darren Moorcroft, CEO of the Woodland Trust. And Darren, first question in this section, we want to get to know a bit more about the role and a bit more about the, the organisation, the Woodland Trust. Some people would think that I'm crazy to have someone from the Woodland Trust on a podcast that discusses youth culture and youth marketing. But first of all, bring to life what the Woodland Trust does. And B, can you bring to life how you try to engage younger people as 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 well as how as well as audience people may traditionally put in your target demographic i suppose okay so the woodland trust is uh the uk's largest uh, woodland nature conservation charity um and as a result what we try and do is we stand up for woods and trees it's as simple as that uh we do that by protecting the woodlands that we've got so uh, we have ancient woodland in the UK, which are the kind of crown jewels of nature uh, for us. Uh, and they are kind of cathedrals of biodiversity. They've got wildlife running through them. They're fantastic for a whole range of reasons. But we've only got about 2% left in the, in the UK. So we need to protect what we have. Um, we look to restore that ancient woodland when it's been degraded by other activities. Uh, and we create new woodlands. So we are out in enticing people and inspiring people to to plant new woodlands uh, and new individual trees either in their garden or uh, across big estates in the uh, in the UK and and the goals are environmental there's some there's some kind of headspace goals there's some well-being goals around this but principally this is to make a more environmentally sound country is that is that yes absolutely so we are i suppose uh, we were we were born in 1972 with a view to protecting and enhancing the woodland uh, ecosystems for the uk uh, you know where we are today you know we are offering solutions and hope for a climate crisis and a nature crisis because when you are protecting woodland or you're putting new trees in the ground you're creating something which will can help and benefit both of those things so I first became aware of the activities of the Woodland Trust um, around when I saw an influencer marketing campaign um, and, and indeed worked on that brief. What else are you doing to reach family and indeed youth audiences? How are you, how are you engaging them? So we're, uh, so we're a membership organisation and we're fortunate to have uh, over 500,000 supporters. Um, but we are looking specifically at how do you engage sort of families and young people through key activities. So, for example, uh, we are one of, if not the largest tree planter in the in the UK. And one of the Woodland Trust's role is to give people and families that opportunity. So we have events where uh, families can come along and plant trees with us. Uh, we had a big climate fight back 
campaign in 2019, uh, and that generated about 250,000 uh, people, uh, predominantly families, uh, small groups, uh, going out and planting millions of trees on behalf of society for tackling the climate crisis and also helping nature. Okay, and bring it to life for me. I'm, I'm a, as I've said, I've got two children. If my family were to join the Woodland Trust, what would we get? Why would pitch to the listeners? Why should they join? Why should they get their families to join? I think, they, well, there can be very little uh, better than actually uh, supporting an organisation that is going to create and help you create uh, a, you know, a new tree, a new woodland, which will last for generations. It's an opportunity to actually demonstrate the, your commitment to the environment uh, and in doing so, put something in the ground which will grow with your children if you're the, if you're the uh, husband or wife or, mm. or partner. Mm. Um, and if you're the child, you can watch it grow and you can then bring your children to that as well. And what we've done in a very sort of large way is we've created or in the process of creating the UK's largest and first young people's forest. So quarter of a million trees that will be planted by young people in the UK for the first time in a way which has been devised by them, helping them to create a future which is, uh, I think, for us, fantastic because it will be, as I say, it will be something which will connect them with nature and with solutions for some of the challenges that we, fa we face. That's amazing. That's a really good example. Um, Things have changed, haven't they, recently? The environmental messaging, indeed, even this series, we've had a couple where we've looked at environmental issues. Um, it seems now that finally environmental issues are on a mainstream political agenda. What do you put that down to? Is it, is it about time? Is it, is it things have changed in terms of who's making the decisions? Have, have you noticed that change? I th well, I think there's been a fundamental shift, and I think I would put that down in, in large part, actually, to young voices. I think the, uh, what we've seen in the conservation sector and the, in the political world is that young people have been viewed as the next generation to be thinking of when they are older. Uh, I think they're now the influencers of today. They are far more powerful, their voices... Uh, than they've ever been. And that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic thing. And when you've got young people saying it's, it's my future that you are determining and, de and deciding on, you better make better decisions. I think that's a very powerful message when it comes out of young voices rather than actually comes out somebody like my voice. And from a real minutia level, the last election had it was less about getting people to plant trees. It was more both the main parties vying over the number of trees that they wanted to have planted. And that must be refreshing for you. That must be almost the first phase completed. Absolutely. I think, you know, there was there was a battle going on for for hearts and minds as to why people should be uh, planting trees. I think that's you know, I don't say it's been won, but we have a significantly uh, moved forward in that in that argument. And I also think we're now having a conversation which is about where, uh, why and how, which is a much better conversation to have. So having, uh, for want of a better phrase, won the environmental argument for the benefit of trees, you know, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the biodiversity and nature that, that supports it, the carbon that's being sucked out the, uh, out the atmosphere by them. That's all the rationale for why you would do it. And now we're talking about putting the right tree in the right place, managing it in the right way and creating the kind of benefits for society that we all want to see. I'm keen to touch on collaboration within the 
charitable sector. Um, does much of that go on? I mean, I know you mentioned before that your goal is not for the Woodland Trust to benefit at the expense of any other conservation um, uh, organisation. But you all meet regularly? Does that sort of thing happen? Uh, we, yes, we do. And actually, today I'm meeting with the uh, CEOs of uh, all of the major environmental uh, charities in order to discuss how do we better collaborate now we can always do better uh, and we should never sort of rest on our laurels but I think there is a, a real appetite for all of us to think about we're all in the same game we're all trying to achieve a you know a better world for people uh, and a better environment and if we collaborate far more than we compete then actually we will get there quicker okay um I want to look at success. What does success for the Woodland Trust look like? And is it is it hard-nosed metrics of number of trees planted? Is it people being aware? How do you monitor and measure success? So as a I suppose as an organization, we have our key performance indicators which yep. which might be quantity, so they might be how have we have we planted or how far to the 64 million trees that we want to plant by 20 25 are we uh, or is our brand awareness where we want it to be so people are understanding what we are about um, but actually there's also kind of quality measures so it goes back to uh, you know those 64 million trees or more we want them in the right place we want them to be doing the job that they can do so uh, if you put a tree in the ground it will suck carbon out wherever you put it but if you put it in the right place it can really enhance nature or if you put it in the right place it can really slow uh, flooding, uh, flood, flooding events. So making those types of decisions means that success will be the right tree in the right place. Okay. What do you put this more environmentally aware society down to? I know you mentioned the voice of young people. How much would you put at the door of the Greta Thunberg effect? I think it's been massive. I think it's, you can't underestimate it, actually. I think it's, it's mobilised in a way which... Uh, I don't think anybody foresaw, uh, which is kind of its value particularly. Uh, and I think it's that alongside, you know, some of the images that people are now seeing on their on sort of mainstream media, like Australia being on fire, the likes of Sir David Attenborough coming out and saying the time is now. I think all of those things add to the credibility of the message and meaning that, you know, the science that we know about climate change and the science that we know about the loss of biodiversity, you know, these things are real. And we have to do something about it. And we have to do something now. There's an old Chinese proverb in the woods and trees business that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Uh, the next best time is now. And I'd say, well, let's get on and do some now. Nice. Um, I just wanted to touch on one more thing in this section whilst we're talking about um, almost the, the organisation of the Woodland Trust. And, and first of all, I want to focus on you and your role. What is the scope of your role? What is the a typical makeup of a week, if indeed there is a typical week? <laughs> uh, I suppose the the only thing that keeps the commonality of a typical week is busy. Right. Uh, I suppose the great thing about a job like uh, chief executive for an organisation uh, as big as the Woodland Trust is the diversity. So uh, I could be talking to my counterparts in the in the environment sector as I'm doing today. Uh, this week, I'm also talking to uh, the Cabinet Office and going to 10 Downing Street to talk about policy. Uh, I'm going for dinner with some very uh, significant supporters of the, of the Woodland Trust from all walks of life. Again, getting external insight. So th their commonality is that they care about woods and trees. 
but they work in all all manner of areas. So you know, uh, big business to media to uh, just big sort of significant landowners. So they can give us an insight which will help. In terms of your key supporters, I don't want to get all Love Island on this, but do you have a type on paper? Is there a is there a quintessential Woodland Trust supporter, or is it very diverse? Uh, I think it's probably uh, currently an older demographic, uh, as was, is the case for a lot of the uh, the conservation sector. Uh, I think we've uh, we're expanding the number of young people who are engaged because of the context in which we're operating and the fact that we're giving solutions. Um, but they are, uh, as I say, they are probably an older demographic who care about the UK countryside and want something to be done about it. And they want it to be done uh, either on their behalf or uh, alongside, uh, alongside them. In terms of focusing on this collaborative effort, I, is it, I was going to touch on lobbying and, and talking to governments, but... Is there a wider societal thing? Is there a is there an education thing that's lacking? Where you're right, children now and and the voices of the future, to use your phrase, are actually kind of moving towards being more environmentally aware. Do you think that something different needs to be done in schools in order to educate children better? I think it would be fantastic to see uh, things like climate change and the wider environment and sustainability built into the education system. You know, we do an awful lot of outreach into schools, uh, helping them to make their school grounds greener and more uh, more wildlife friendly. So we will send out uh, around uh, quarter, three quarters of a million trees last uh, last autumn to schools and local communities for them to be able to plant. And I think that opportunity, I think we often can under, underestimate the value of uh, giving people the opportunity to take an action as simple as planting a tree um, because I think it can last in the memory of those uh, those school children and it can make a connection which can last a generation. Final question in this section what are the key initiatives that the Woodland Trust have got coming up over the next few months to engage younger audiences what are the the key points in the calendar we should be looking out for? So I think there are there are a few. Uh, we have something called Nature's Calendar, uh, which is a way, in, it's a citizen science project, which allows people to uh, assess the, uh, the changing seasons and how nature is responding to things like climate change. So we have the longest running data set uh, available. Um, and what we do is add on to that each year. And young people can get out into the uh, into the woods and into the countryside, and even into their gardens, record the types of things that are happening, like the emergence of things like snowdrops. Tell us when that's happening, and that allows us to track how climate change is affecting nature. So that's that would be one. Uh, we're just gearing up to the uh, you know the next part of big uh, our big climate fight back uh, program. Uh, not fully fully devised yet, but I think the opportunity to uh, get engaged and think about how people's voices can be added to the conversations that are happening now around climate change and nature, uh, uh, nature survival. We have, you know, 2020 has been framed politically as a super year because it's talking about biodiversity loss. It's talking about in Glasgow in November next year, uh, so the so-called COP26, where all the world leaders come and tell us what they're going to do about climate change. We're looking at how we collaborate with other parts of the sector to, to make a bigger voice. And it would be fantastic if there was a youth voice 
in that and that and what we can do as organizations is create the platform for them to be heard so final section of this week's rocket fuel with darren moorcroft ceo of the woodland trust and this is where we asked darren to take some practical insights some some applied bits of some nuggets some things that our audience based in creative tech media and marketing can apply to their daily lives to better engage with youth audiences so Darren first question what do you know about young audiences what I know is uh, they are very passionate about uh, making a difference and they are very passionate about practical solutions so uh, a lot of talk can be made around what co- could be done I think the, the real challenge is giving people things that can be done and giving them the opportunity to do them. So building blocks and specific goals as effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. And saying, you know, if you do this action and, you know, for, for us, one of those is uh, planting a tree, it will have this benefit. And this benefit will happen, you know, from the time you put it in the ground, but it will be a benefit that grows year on year as you grow. We've, we live in an age where lots of people that work in marketing talk about brand purpose. What do you think is important to young people? That's a good question. I think, the, um, I think authenticity. I think the, uh, the ability to recognise that not everybody has all the answers. So giving people options and giving them choice, I think, is important. So... Uh, that options and choice allows them to make decisions which can they make makes allows them to make uh, what could be considered to be better decisions for them and for in our business the environment. Okay, and what has changed about the way young audiences behave, and what do you think is going to change next? Uh, well, I think the thing that's changed is an awareness and a willingness to act. Uh, I hope what will change is that they will continue to do so and mobilize even more so i think we've seen uh a youth audience uh, gain its voice i think we've seen i'd like to see more of them gain that voice and i and i suppose it's incumbent upon organizations like the woodland trust and others to provide them with a platform to do so and that's what i'm committed to do and when engaging young audiences what who gets it right and who gets it wrong and why do you think they do that are there specific brands specific organizations i think one of the ones that we've been working with quite closely are an organization called uh, i will um, and uh, step up to serve so they are they're helping us to think about how we can better do youth um, and in that respect uh, we're learning as we go um, and i think Understanding, I think what they do well is that they take youth voices and they engage with young people and ask them what they want and how they want to do it, rather than saying, you should do this, it's a great thing. And I think that's a, a mindset shift that all of us can take, um, although I probably wouldn't want my daughters to hear me say that. Uh, <laughs> the, um, because I think that the value in giving people the opportunity to make their own choices in a, in a way which gives them uh, better outcomes is more important than saying, if you do this, you will get that better outcome. Okay. And where can people find out more about you and more about the Woodland Trust? Uh, so we have the, uh, the typical uh, Woodland Trust website. So www.woodlandtrust.org.uk. There's a whole range of activities and 
uh, actions that we take on, uh, we demonstrate on there. So if people want to know more, that's the best place to go. Okay. And if there was one takeaway for everybody listening, Darren, what would it be? Uh, if you do one thing, then and you've got the opportunity, then why not plant a tree and enjoy the benefits for years to come? So who'd have thought it, eh? The Woodland Trust using big data to address a climate crisis fight back. You heard it here first. Wasn't Darren a smashing bloke? Didn't he come across well? And didn't he come across as both a pragmatist, a realist, and something of a visionary in how best to mobilise a generation? If you've enjoyed this week's Rocket Fuel, do me a favour. Let a friend know, forward this podcast to them. Or give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcasts. And tune in next week for more Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.